working our way through the book of Proverbs, Wisdom from Heaven for Life on Earth. This is part six. Learning the wise way with words. It's 6.30. And uh, we'll work through this quickly. We'll have prayer groups. So far, we've studied the following subjects from the book of Proverbs. Wisdom and how to attain it. We did that for two weeks. The path of the fool and how to avoid it. Friendship, its power to shape our life for better or for worse. And fourth, last week, the ruining effect of laziness on character and spiritual life. Today, our focus is on the importance and influence of the words we use. And the reason we need to study it is our tendency is to think of our speech merely as as something we do rather than something we are becoming. The writer of Proverbs has no such delusions. Just because our words are invisible, it doesn't mean they're weak or unimportant. Our words are things in the eyes of God. They can have eternal impact, eternal consequence. Our words shape ourselves and those around us. You don't just get that in Proverbs. Jesus emphasized the same thing, Matthew 12, 36, 37. He talked about when he would come again and when he would judge the world. And here's what he said, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified. By your words you will be condemned. Notice every careless word. Word. The emphasis here is the way our lives will be assessed by our unplanned words. Anybody can make a speech. Anybody can work from a script. Anybody can do a sermon or a Bible study. Those aren't the words by which we're judged because those aren't the words that reveal who we are. But unplanned words, or as Jesus says, careless words... Those are the the words that get drawn out of us. A reflex kind of response. Angry words. Words about difficult circumstances. Words aimed at other people. And because they're my reflex response, they are the best revealers of what's actually living way down here in my heart. Words have eternal significance. They shape eternal destiny. And that doesn't get missed in the book of Proverbs. Words are intimately tied in with my relationship to God. The things God loves and the thing God's, God hates. You probably know these words from Proverbs 6, 16 to 19. There are six things that the Lord hates. Seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. And it's significant to me that out of the six things, seven things that the writer specifically says God hates, three have to do with words. The things we say, 
Am I, am I meant to take from that that if I can learn to be wise, godly in my speech, that I have the battle of holiness about 50% won? Words. Here are some basic truths. i got about seven thoughts I want to leave with you. One, words have the power to affect the actual destiny of the life. Proverbs 18, 20, and 21 says, From the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. The verse calls the power of words to mind in a very vivid way, the power of death and the power of life. So, so we might think of words as invisible, harmless, innocent, non-countable things, but in spite of their innocent appearance, they, they take the life in the direction of these extremes, life and death. We know what it means when someone says, it's a matter of life and death. Right of Proverbs says, exactly, that's, that's, that's the stuff that comes out of your mouth. The reason we don't see our words as such drastic tools for the shaping of our destiny is also hinted in that verse. 1820, from the fruit of a man's mouth, satisfied by the yield of his lips. The reason we don't see our words as such drastic tools for the shaping of our destiny, life and death, is that they don't just explode full force. All the damage they do isn't revealed all at once with kind of an instantaneous force. There can be an emotional kind of gut reaction to something said or something heard, but It's the way the writer of Proverbs talks about the fruit of what we say. Ever planted a tomato? And and it doesn't grow right away. You don't see what it's really going to be right away. It takes time for the full quality of any kind of fruit to unfold and manifest itself. Fruit grows gradually. Fruit goes silently. You have never yet been kept awake at night by the geraniums growing in your garden. There's there's an effect there that just happens almost unnoticeably. So you say something right away, and I can even apologize for it. But the writer talks about the way something keeps growing and developing from the things we say. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. But it's like fruit. So so our words, here's the thing. Our words aren't just things we say. Our words are things we become. Habits of speech are formed. Angry words. The more you respond angrily to things people say, the more you are going to respond angrily to the things people say. That's how fruit grows. Dishonest words. The more you get the habit of just slight exaggerations, the more dishonesty flows from your mouth over time. Fruit grows. Proud words. So, 
That is what makes the influence of our words and, and the shaping power of our speech so easily overlooked. But they do have the power of life and death in them. That's the first thing. Point number two. Words have the power to penetrate the inner realm of the soul, altering emotions and attitudes and beliefs. Now, this is seen in the book of Proverbs. I want to say it. In, it's revealed in both positive and negative ways. 12.18 says, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. So here's a picture of the power of words to, to hurt, to cut, to do damage, to wound an individual. And, and, and the thought behind this is you and I should no more be careless with the words that come out of our mouths than we should be careless with a firearm or a dagger or a really sharp sword. We can handle words carelessly, cruelly. Words can cut and pierce like a, like a sword. So it's designed, that verse, to utterly destroy the myth that words are just harmless entities. You know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Wherever that little nursery rhyme comes from, it's miles from biblical truth. Miles from biblical truth. But the effect of words, the, on the positive side, it's not all negative. On the positive sides, timely words, well chosen. 12.18 says, there is one whose rash words are like a sword, like sword thrusts, but, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. So there's the damage of thoughtless speech, ungodly speech. And in contrast, there's, there's wise speech. How do you measure? How do you measure so-and-so? He's really wise. You ever heard so-and-so? She's really a wise woman. Contrary to what you might think, wisdom is not measured by a person's ability to win an argument or make a point. Wise words over and over again in the Old Testament and New are measured by their ability to heal. To minister grace. People get discouraged. People get lonely. People feel guilty. People get afraid. People get confused by circumstances in life, battered by circumstances. In all of those situations, a wise word is needed from someone who knows how to bring healing to the process. There are enough things, surely, that weaken. Proverbs 12.25, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word. Isn't that beautiful? A good word word makes him glad. Don't you want to get better at that? No, i got to hurry. Three, 
My words have the power to smudge the reputation and slander the character of others. Proverbs 18.8, the words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. So, so the bearer of these words, the one speaking them, and they're against a brother or a sister. They, 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 they slander. And the bearer of those words is rightly called a whisperer. That's what the verse says. In other words, in other words, here is a person who will say things privately that he doesn't want to be identified with. He won't sign those words on a sheet of paper. He will not verify them with witness. We had a situation a few years ago when all sorts of things would come. People would come to me and they'd say things about someone in the church. And time and time again, I would give the same response. I would say, really? So someone told you this? Who told you this? Oh, no, no, I can't. They swore me to secrecy. I, I can't share that. Those kind of situations. Whisperers. Because of our fallen nature, the whisperer knows his words will be gullibly received by some, unfortunately, even in the church, hearing such juicy inside information is aptly described as, isn't this a beautiful phrase, devouring a dainty morsel. You know those little round Lind chocolate things? Someone comes and goes, did you hear? I don't want to gossip. Goodness knows, I'm just telling you this so you can pray about it. Did you hear? And on they go. And we don't like to admit it, but it's like someone offering you one of those Lynn chocolates. A dainty morsel. The next time someone comes to you with whispering words about someone else, they will usually most quickly be disarmed if you'll just say, you don't, you don't mind if I tell so-and-so that this is what you said about them, do you? Four. Words have the power to shape beliefs and the convictions of others. Proverbs 10.21, The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. We've already studied the tragic life of the fool, and one of the things making that person a fool is this stubborn refusal to listen to wise words. We studied the proverb, a thousand blows on the back of a fool won't accomplish what one word of rebuke will on the ears of the wise. They just don't listen. But there are also times when the writer of Proverbs puts the shoe on the other foot. Sometimes he writes not of the hearer of words, but of the speaker of words. Wise spoken words feed others. We've seen how wise words can heal others, those who are broken, those who are in need. Now we'll see how wise words can feed the mind, educate the soul, train the character of people who will listen. This, this kind of mutual feeding is at the very core of a healthy New Testament church. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms 
and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So a rich relationship with Christ and a rich relationship with his word is the store out of which wise words, the store out of which counsel comes. Five. I skipped a little bit if you're following carefully. I just want to get moving. The effects of our words spread and multiply beyond their moment of utterance and continue to have ramifications far beyond our initial expectations. This is true with both good words, the blessing of them, and bad words, the damage of them. We will always underestimate the potential down the road of the words we utter. Proverbs 16, 27, a worthless man plots evil and his speech is like a scorching fire. You see the news, you see these wildfires in California and the way they just rip through dry, dry areas. That's the picture here. Only it's our words, like a scorching fire. And the picture is that fire that sweeps over a dry field. It used to be a campfire. It used to be a cigarette butt. It was small at the beginning. No one would have dreamed the horrible damage that was coming. And that's why, as we'll see in a minute, the Bible invites us to such watchfulness over the things we say. All of our sentences, all of our words look so small when we utter them. We can say things and just forget about them but it's like a spark on a dry field. Six, the way of wise speech and the marks of words at their very best. Let me give you some characteristics. Words should always be honest. Proverbs 16, 13. Righteous lips are the delight of a king, and he loves him who speaks what is right. So kings would surround themselves with wise people, counselors, who would help direct the hand of the king in wisdom. And the first thing, obviously, that the king would need to know was that his counselors were telling him the truth. Everything hinged on the honesty of their words. It's a great example of the way godly people always know the importance of honesty. Remember the story of young Samuel and Eli? We all know the account of how Eli actually had to coach Samuel in recognizing the word of the Lord. When, when Samuel kept getting up at night and going to Eli and saying, you called me, and saying, I didn't call you, and finally Eli recognized this is God talking to young Samuel. But that's not the neatest part of the story. The really instructive part of the whole account is when God gives a very stern message to Samuel about judgment that's going to come on Eli. Samuel doesn't want to tell Eli. He loves Eli. Remember that story? Doesn't want to say anything about it. And Eli is wise enough to know, and he's godly enough to know, that false words are worthless to everyone. And then you get this summary. It's in 1 Samuel 3, 15 to 18. Samuel lay until morning. And then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. There's going to be judgment coming on Eli. 
Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. And Eli said, what is it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And Eli said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Word should always be honest. Secondly, word should always be regulated. 1728, even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he's deemed intelligent. Now, certainly it's not the case that if a fool just doesn't say anything, he becomes brilliant. That's not the point. The point is a fool can actually pass for being brilliant if he just keeps quiet. So words, words should be selective. Chances for damage and self-destruction increase as words spout forth. They shouldn't just flow. They should be considered, and then they should be selected. Proverbs 13.3, whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. Remember? Death and life and the power of the tongue. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. So selected. True, selected, third, words, wise words should be calm. 1727, whoever restrains his word has knowledge. And he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. So anger is one of the greatest enemies to wisdom. And nowhere is that more fully revealed than in our speech. Wisdom evaporates when anger rules. That's why Proverbs 15.1 A soft answer turns away wrath. Harsh words stir up anger. So so a gentle answer, it takes a great deal of, of moral strength and spiritual strength, but once summoned, they will help. A soft answer helps control anger in me, and a soft answer from me helps control anger in you. That principle of responding in the opposite spirit. Fourth, wise words will be appropriate. 1523, to make an apt answer is a joy to a man, and a word in season, how good it is. Have you, haven't you seen this? Two people go to try and help a person. Two people go and say essentially the same thing, Okay. Person A, who tries to go and help, has a good heart, godly person. I'm not taking anything away from that. Person A, who went to help, didn't help. Person B goes to the same person with essentially the same advice, and the person listens to person B. What's the difference? Not the content. It's it's the way in which they framed their words. Some people have a sense of timing. They know, they know when to get a foot in the door but not push the door all the way open. They know how to, how to lead a person to a different conclusion without coming out and saying, you're wrong. Words that are made to, like pieces of a puzzle, words that are made to fit precisely into the needs of another heart. A word in season. It's a timing word. 
best example in the whole Bible is Nathan going to David. And you know that story. David, he's sitting on his sin. He doesn't do it very often, and that's one of the good things about David, but he's just sitting on his sin. He's stewing in his sin, and he's not dealing with it. And Nathan goes to the king, and he knows that if he just goes and says, David, you're really being rotten here, that it won't work. He's going to tell David he's rotten, but he's going to do it fitted. And so he tells David the story about the guy, remember, down the street who had all sorts of livestock and all sorts of land, but company came to the house. Instead of taking from his herd, he goes to the neighbor who had very little and steals the little lamb of the neighbor so he can butcher the lamb for his guests. And of course, what he's saying, and in that culture, here's David with, with all, all his, his, his wives and concubines and you know, that's not said that it's righteous, but that's, that's the situation David had. And he goes and he takes Bathsheba. But he doesn't come and talk to David at all about Bathsheba. He talks about a guy who has all sorts of livestock and he goes and steals a lamb from a neighbor. And David is incensed. That man should be punished. How can somebody, what a louse, how can somebody do that? And I wonder how Nathan did it. Yeah, yeah, David, that would be dirty to do, wouldn't it? To go and take what is somebody else's when there's no real reason to do that. Hmm. I wonder who else did something like that. And then, David, that's... I'm talking about you, David. I'm glad you were so morally incensed. By the way, it's you. And David can't back out because David's already pronounced how wicked the deed is. Appropriate. Timed. We're almost done. How to make your words count. So this is 7a. Study before you speak. Proverbs 15, 28. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. The mouth of the wicked pours out. See the difference? Two P words. Ponders, pours out. There's the difference. A righteous person ponders how to answer. Where's this going to go if I say it this way? A wicked person simply pours out the content of his heart. B, make your words a matter of daily prayer. And two things will arise. Two things will naturally arise out of such prayer times. One, you'll be made increasingly aware of how many times you sin carelessly in your speech, and you'll develop the habit of confessing those things to God. Isaiah, the prophet, in the year that King Uzziah died has a vision of the Lord high and lifted up and his train fills the temple and he sees angels covering their faces with their wings saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And as soon as Isaiah recognizes he's in the presence of a holy God, he says, I'm a man of unclean, what? 
it's, it's, it's my words. It's the things I say. What's more, this isn't only my problem. I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips. People who know the holiness of God and make their speech a matter of prayer will find themselves constantly searching their soul and repenting for the things they say. The second thing that will happen is, as you make your words a matter of daily prayer, you will increasingly bring matters of daily conversation to the Lord for direction and guidance. Psalm 141, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth, and keep watch over the door of my lips. It's good praying. It's good praying. The things we say are speech. Out of the six things God says he hates, three of them have to do with our words. Deal with those things. You'll be 50% more righteous. Just with those things. <laughs> 